It's interesting, I think, these days that one of the questions that the world is asking and maybe you are asking as well is not so much, is God real, though there may be some who are asking that question, but rather, is God actually with us in this mess? Does he know what we're going through? Does he see what we face? Does he understand our struggles? Does he actually care? I think that's the question we ask, if we're honest. The amazing thing about Good Friday is that in a lot of ways it's the greatest answer to that question. That God doesn't stay far away, that God doesn't just keep himself at a safe distance, that God doesn't look at our disease and our sickness and our rebellion and keep himself from getting tainted by it, but rather Jesus entered into our world. He entered into our mess He doesn't keep himself from being infected, but rather he faced the very sickness of our sin, took on our disease, and went to death in order to put it to death. So if you're new to Jesus or the faith, I want you to hear tonight that God sees you, he knows you, he cares about you, and he cares enough to enter in to the mess and to take it on and remove it from you, heal you, forgive you, and change you. You probably noticed when we came in that there's the Stations of the Cross on this side of the wall following through to the back that we're going to ask you to walk through at the end of our gathering. And my desire is to take you through some of the journey of those Stations of the Cross. I won't go through all of them, but I want us to enter into the story, like I said, not as an observer, but as a participant. I want you to imagine yourself, if you could, in the story, and even if it helps to close your eyes at times, to try and imagine the scene, the very first scene of Jesus being tempted. We know it happens in the Garden of Gethsemane, but it also happened at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, right after he came out of the waters of baptism, hearing his father say, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he's directed by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And if you're familiar with that story, you know that the first temptation was a temptation to turn the rock into bread. The evil one knew Jesus was desperately hungry. And he said, if you are the son of man, say to this rock, become bread and it will be so. And what he immediately attempts him with is his identity, not just appealing to his hunger and his deep desires and longings, but most importantly to say, if you are the son of man, then do this. He does this to all of us. He wants to regularly tempt you and I at the very core of our identity. If God really knew you, if he really saw you, if you really were cared for by him, if you were really an image bearer, then then this is what would happen. This is what you would do. This is how he'd respond. And he appeals to our deep hungers and desires that God put in us, and he wants us to find satisfaction somewhere outside of God and his plan for our life. And at the heart of it is he, he asks, who are you? Are you really who God says you are? The next temptation, if you remember, he says, if you will bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and all of their adoration will be directed to you. And the question I want us to ask tonight is, whose adoration are we living for ultimately? And who have we been willing or what have we been willing to bow down to so that we might receive the praise of men, forgetting that we already have the affirmation of our heavenly father? 
Lastly, Jesus was tempted to put God to the test. If you remember, the evil one said, if you throw yourself off from the top of this temple, God is obligated to send his angels to guard you and catch you because I know what the word of God says, the devil says, that God will make sure nothing comes to harm you. And Jesus, in response, says, you shall not put the the Lord your God to the test. And I wonder how often we go to God in prayer and ask God to accomplish our bidding instead of coming before God in prayer like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, not my will be done but yours. I'm not here to have you bless my plan. I'm here to bow down and serve yours. And so I want you to stop a moment and ask yourself, where have you been tempted lately? Where do you need the one who overcame temptation for you? Just take a moment, close your eyes. Gonna do this several times for the gathering, so this may be new for some of you. I wanna create space for you just to be quiet and say, Holy Spirit, where have I been tempted to find my identity somewhere else, to live for the adoration and praise of men at the cost of worship for you? Where have I asked you to do my bidding instead of submitted to yours? Invite the Spirit of God to reveal the temptations you've been giving into in your life. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are and yet without sin. And therefore we have a high priest in Jesus who can sympathize with all of our weakness. C.S. Lewis says this, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That's why bad people in one sense know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life by always giving in to it. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full extent of what temptation means. He is the only complete realist. I want to encourage you, there is one who understands the struggle better than anyone in this room and never gave in to it. Jesus continually gave himself to the needs of others, submitting to the will of the Father, serving, loving, and sacrificing himself for us. And yet... Jesus is still betrayed. Mark 14. Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and they promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. While they were eating the Passover meal together, Jesus said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. 
want you to just imagine being at that meal with Jesus. Just imagine sitting at the table, hearing these words, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and said to him one by one, surely not I. He said to them, it is one of the 12. The one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me, for the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, today, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. We know the story. They all run away when Jesus is arrested. And in the hearing of Jesus' trial, Peter, one after another, denies Jesus. One, two, and three times, and the rooster crows the second time. I want you just to pause and, in your spirit and just invite the spirit to show you how you're no different <laughs> I think we, we tell ourselves that I would have never run away, I would have stayed with him. We're like the disciples to say, we'll never leave you no matter what. And then when the worst situation comes up or sometimes even the smallest, slightest difficulty in our life, we find ourselves running away. We run to some other solution. We call our friends for the greatest advice we can find. We don't go to prayer, but we go to problem solving. We're no different. So I want you just to take a moment and quiet your heart and ask the Spirit, show me the ways in which I run away. Show me the ways in which I deny you, Jesus. Show me the ways in which I betrayed you. Take a moment to do that. Jesus, if we're honest, we have to acknowledge that we have run from you, run to other things, run to other people. We have denied you with our actions, with our lips, in our hearts. We betrayed you and given ourselves over to lesser things for temporary satisfaction that never lasts.
And so tonight as we come to the table together, we ask that you would make us fully aware that we are no different than your disciples who ran away in the worst possible moment. We invite you, Spirit, to take us, in a sense, to that place and enter into the story and find our place at the table with you. While Jesus was in the garden praying, asking the Father if there was another way, crying out three times, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. Judas and a band of soldiers and several other people came and arrested Jesus and led him away. And as he predicted, his disciples scattered. Peter denied him three times. And as soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders, scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priest tied Jesus up led him away and handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you say so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. Pilate questioned him again, aren't you going to answer? Look at how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer. And so Pilate was amazed. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. Pilate answered them, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priest had stirred up the crowd so that they would release Barabbas instead. Pilate asked them again, then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Again, they shouted, crucify him. Pilate said to them, why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. He had done nothing wrong, which is the very reason why he was the perfect sacrifice for you and me who have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. He was condemned in our place so that we would be acquitted. He came not that he might condemn the world, but that he would save the world through himself being condemned. Now, before we move forward in the story, I want us to pause here a second and ask, Where are you feeling personal condemnation? Where are you experiencing guilt? Where do you feel shame? Where are you living with a fear that God may find you out? 
And I want, I want you to know that Jesus came so that he might remove the shame, that he might atone for the guilt, that he might remove all fear of punishment because he instead was in your place so that you would no longer have to fear condemnation. In fact, I want you just to take a moment to come before God's spirit and say, where am I still living as though Jesus didn't take it for me? Where am I still living as though I have to pay for my sin? Where am I still living as though I have to cover up the shame? Where am I still believing that you're not for me, God, but against me? Take a moment to let the spirit reveal those things to your heart. Let's go to him in prayer. Jesus, a criminal was released so that you, an innocent man, would die. And you, the innocent man, the son of God, died so that we who are criminals, we who are sinners, we who have fallen short might be released. Would you help us to believe that tonight? Then the soldiers led him away into the palace, that is the governor's residence, and he called the whole company together and they dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, pressed it into his head, and they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. They were hitting him on the head with a stick and spitting on him, getting down on their knees. They were paying homage to him as though he were a king, but all along just mocking him. They stripped him of the purple robe and they put his clothes back on him. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was ridiculed. Jesus was publicly made fun of. His reputation was destroyed. And I, I, I don't know if you'd have been there, but I, I feel like if I would have been next to Jesus, I would have said, Jesus, don't let them do this to you. Speak up. Don't, don't they know who you are? Tell them. Make a case. You're not guilty. Prove it. But Jesus is quiet. I wonder... What if Jesus would have spoken up? What if he would have said, you're right, I'm not guilty, you are. What if, what if he would have made a case for his innocence? Then all of us would have been hopeless because he would not be able to make a case for our innocence before God the Father right now. But because Jesus kept his mouth silent, kept his mouth shut and remained silent as Isaiah says, a lamb before her shears keeping her mouth shut, Jesus did not open his mouth and 
He kept quiet so that one day he would be able to stand before the God, God the Father and speak words about us that we don't deserve. Speak to our innocence because of him taking on our guilt. Speak to the Father's love because he was rejected for us. And I just want you to stop and pause and ask yourself, what's the word that I, I want to hear the Father saying about me? What's the word I pray Jesus is saying before the Father on my behalf? Because he's no longer silent. He's speaking a better word for you. I want to pray some of those over you right now. Just want to close your eyes and receive them. Because Jesus was rejected, you in Christ are loved. Because Jesus became sin, our sin on the cross, you are forgiven. Because Jesus took on shame, you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Because Jesus atoned for guilt, you are innocent. Because Jesus suffered punishment, you have no need to be afraid of punishment. Because Jesus satisfied the Father's wrath, God is for you and not against you. Because Jesus, the Son of God, shares his inheritance with you by faith, you are children of God dearly loved. Praise you, Jesus keeping your mouth shut so that you can open it before the Father and speak better words than we deserve. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And Jesus embraced his cross for you and me, so that one day you and I would hear him say, because I took up my cross, now will you follow me and take up yours? Tonight, one of the things I hope you do when you walk through the stations, when you get to the station of the cross, you will say, Jesus, thank you for bearing the cross for me. Now I want to deny myself and bear my cross for you. I want to live daily for you. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him was the king of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, ha, the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we could all see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How many times has he said that to us? When it was noon, darkness 
came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloah, Eloah, lemma sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When those standing there heard this, they said, see, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick and offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus let out a loud cry and said, it is finished. And he breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That's not what Jesus said just about the people standing in front of him. That's what he says to you. He cried out for your forgiveness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me was God's answer to Jesus' prayer. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the next thing you hear him saying is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, the sin of all of us was put on Jesus. And Jesus felt the abandonment of the Father in that moment because the weight of sin was so horrific. He did that for you. He did that for me. It is finished. It was enough. It's interesting. Good Friday is which day of the week? The sixth day. If you know the creation account, you know that God on the sixth day finished the work of creating and on the seventh day he rested from all the labor. And Jesus is crying out the very same thing, it is finished. So that there might be a beginning that's new for every one of us. A new creation story. And as Jesus does that, the curtain is torn in two symbolizing that now God has made a way for all of us to come directly to God through Jesus Christ. As the curtain was the protective barrier between the temple and the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwell, and now you and I through Christ, because he took on our sin, have access, free access, bold access, complete access to God the Father through Jesus the Son. Amen? That's what he purchased for you. When it was already evening, because it was the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God. I want to pause there. This is a guy who was likely part of the group that condemned him. Crazy. He came... He saw, he realized this was the son of God. 
and he boldly went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. When he found out from the centurion that he was, he gave the corpse to Joseph. After he bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down and wrapped him in the linen. Then he laid him in a tomb, cut out of the rock and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. And I want us to take some time before we end tonight to just personally meditate on all that Jesus has done for you. I want us to keep this room as silent and quiet as we possibly can. If you want to talk to people, we can go out in the lobby, but I'd like this place just to be a place that's set apart to really just contemplate the work of Christ for you. I want you to take as long as you need. And when you're ready, I want you to come and snuff out a candle as a symbol of your participation in the death of Christ. See, if you don't believe that Jesus died because of your sins, then you have no participation in receiving what Jesus did for your sins at the cross. We actually have to admit that it is for our sins that he died so that we can receive the forgiveness for our sins which his death purchased. And so I want to encourage you when you're ready to come and snuff out a candle as your way of saying, he died because I sinned. And his death forgives my sin. And after that, I want you to make your way over to my right, your left. We're gonna turn the lights on on each one of the stations of the cross so that you can take your time to walk and meditate through each one of them. Encourage you just to share, say a brief prayer at each one in light of what it means to you tonight. And again, I want you to take the time to, to do that We want to encourage all of you to take the opportunity to really slow down a bit. I told the team before this night began that I wasn't going to be doing nearly as much preaching. I wanted to be a lot more to pause and just hearing the story and sitting in it a little bit. I'm confident the Spirit of God can speak in the silence, sometimes more than in the place of many words. So I want you to be quiet and listen. Snuff out a candle and make your way to the stations and let the Spirit of God do the work that he wants to do in your heart tonight. Parents, if you want to bring your kids in here so they can experience it, that's fine, but just make sure they also observe a time of silence as they walk through the stations. Otherwise, if you'd like to talk to people, we'd like you to do that outside. Let me pray for all of us as we take our time to meditate on all that Christ has done. Father, there's not a better story that could have been written. There's not better news that could be proclaimed. There's not a better work that we could trust in than the story and the news and the work of Jesus. Jesus, you never sinned so that we who have sinned might be forgiven. Jesus, you never defended yourself so that you could defend us before the Father. Jesus, you suffered and died so that we wouldn't have to suffer eternal punishment for our sin. 
And Jesus, you were so wrongly treated so that we could be treated way better than we deserve. And we give you thanks and ask that you, by your spirit, would move in our hearts to respond in faith. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here in this room who has yet to surrender their life to you and ask you to forgive them of their sins and change their life from the inside out, that tonight would be their night. So move in this place. Move in our hearts for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.